Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to the conclusion of our two-part special episode, Contact Lens Business in the COVID-19 Era, Products on the Market. We're glad you've joined us to hear Drs. Lewis, Palay, Sai, and Yu conclude their conversation. This podcast was supported with advertising by Bausch & Loam. The opinions and views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and are not necessarily those of Bausch & Loam or its affiliates. Now let's get back to the panel. Dr. Palay, can you share, you know, a little bit about your journey with scleral lenses and, you know, how and why you started prescribing them? Well, so my journey into specialty contact in general was a force of need. When I came out of optometry school, I worked in a rural uh, a rural city and there was a lot of keratoconus, a lot of high cell. And so the practice happened to have a lot of RGPs and that wasn't necessarily an interest of mine, but I, I had to. There were, those are the patients that I saw and I didn't know really what to do with them. And I would refer to the, the, um, the owner, the practitioner that was owning that office. And then eventually he was saying, well, you, you should probably learn and, and you know, go dive yourself into it. So I watched webinar, lectures, just really getting into it. And that's how my interest came out of it is because of necessity. I had these patients that needed this and I needed to learn how to, how to fit these patients. And this is pre-sclerals. Scleral lenses weren't as sexy as it is now. That wasn't around. These are all RGPs. And to be honest, how I started off, these patients would come in and I would just order the highest sill that I could get in a soft contact lens. And obviously that didn't work. And then I would say, oh, well, there's, let me try a synergized hybrid lens. And um, this was, again, about eight years ago. So they're a fantastic lens now, but didn't always equate to what I needed for at that time. And that's how I got the reputation of the, of, of the doctors, not to go see if you need a specialty contact lens at that time. So I had to learn, I had to really grind and really find out of how to fit RGPs. And as you just get more and more practice, you get better and better like anything in life. And then when scleral lenses came around, it really helped a, I wouldn't wanna say that it made the process easier, what I would say is it expanded of how much I could treat. And I found that out probably three to four years later. And my practice now does uh, a lot of scleralized patients. So I wanna highlight of how we kind of get to those patients. So there's the, the, reg the keratoconic patient, the ectasias, which we all know about, the post-transplants. Those are the, the candidates into sclerons that we all know about, and they, they can do very well with them. But the things that we don't think about are sometimes the normal patients. You know, we talked about the multifocal and the twerk patients, and there's a lot of great options now. But prior to that, there were a lot of candidates for scleral lenses that just had high astigmatism and didn't want to wear reading glasses. And they were not offered an option of a contact lens that could accommodate them. And while the evaluation and the material cost is a little bit higher, that's something that we should offer them. It's not something that we should be dictating their pocketbook. If there's something that they need and they have a profession or even at home that they need um, distance and up close vision that glasses just can't provide, we shouldn't be dictating what a person can get or not get 
um, by predetermining what their financial situation is. We should be offering the best visual outcome. And those patients did very well. I was surprised when I actually offered the option to every single patient how many really actually chose it. So my journey was out of necessity. And then out of necessity came the passion of helping these patients because the visual changes you get from whether it's a high cell patient or a patient that's been an isometropic for several years and just hated wearing glasses, so they didn't wear them and were just dealing with their horrible vision and now can get into a contact lens that can really accommodate them. I mean, the changes are really, really incredible. And I can't emphasize enough how life-changing they are. The patients are willing to go through that process because it's not the difference of, I can see a little bit better. It's the difference of, I can now go to work. It's now I can do what I need to do for my life. It's not that I can just stay home because I have to just wear glasses that don't work anymore. My life is different. It's not just that my vision is different. Wow. So obviously your commitment to taking the time, you know, through your journey, you started from the ground up to learn how to fit squirrels at a high level is making a significant impact in your patients' lives. For those doctors like myself, you know, who are less familiar with Sclerolens products and technologies, you were talking about best there for a moment. Can you share with our audience some of the new products that you think are the best out there and why? Yeah, um, so the great thing about Sclerolenses especially, it's a newer thing, the newer sexy product. So there's so much changes technology-wise and product-wise. So um, as my go-to, I do like the Zen Lens. Um, it has so many things that I can change as a multifocal option, torque haptics, front surface torques, hydropeg, which is one of the newer things that you can add on the surface of the lens to help um, the wettability of the lens. Um, so it's a great lens. I've been using it for years and it's really advancing um, with the consultants as well as we're learning more about scleral lenses and um, ocular surface disease. Um, as far as new things, uh, one thing I wanna highlight is actually filling solutions. So. Uh, what we used to do was um, any type of 0.9% saline solution, so Addy packs, which you can get from Amazon and other other um, other compounding pharmacies, and then we kind of graduated to more specific solutions for scleral lenses, like Lacropure, Sclerophyll. Um, Sclerophyll is an excellent one. That's what we use in our office. But a new one that just came out um, was Nutrafil, which is a little bit more similar to the natural composition of our tears. So that's the one that we've been trying out in our office. It's an excellent solution. So that's one to look out for. Uh, if you're having problems with midday fogging and debris in the um, uh, in the chamber of the scleral lens, Nutrafil is an excellent uh, lens, uh, lens solution to try out. The other thing I wanna start highlighting is, and this is I think the future of scleral lenses, is scleral profilometry. Um, so the days of diagnostic evaluation, we're putting lenses on and off. Um, while I'm still doing it, and a lot of practitioners are, I think it will eventually get to the point where we can do actual objective data calculation and empirically order scleral lenses. And it's already there, that the technology is there and that's, I think it's only gonna expand. So the things to really look out for are those scleral profilometers. And there's three that I'd like to highlight. There's the S-MAP, which works with visionary optics. Um, so they work with the latitude lens. So uh, a great, great modality. Um, one thing to keep in mind is you'll be working with that specific lenses on. 
Then there's the Eaglet ESP, which is another sclerolytic profilometry, which has updated the software uh, recently and worked with a plethora of different scleral lens design is, designs. So I think that's an excellent modality to look into as well. And then Pentacam CSP also has uh, scleral topography as well that can incorporate into other designs. Um, ScanFit and iPrint are the other things I want to highlight. IPrint is a um, basically a molding of the surface of the eye. So if you're talking about accurate and completely customized, that's the way to go. So that's uh, for extremely ectatic corneas, glaucoma shunts, anything that's really irregular, iPrint is something to look into. And then, and, and really that might be only about 2% of cases in your traditional uh, optometric practice. ScanFit is the, um, the newer uh, design that they launched, which is still very customized, um, but is uh, for not as the advanced situation. We have so many glaucoma shunts, very ectatic cornea. So those are more molding based. And then, like I said, the scleroprophorometry can be used um, data-driven and empirical driven for scleral lenses. So very, very exciting. Wow, that's a lot of technology. We're talking about filling solutions, different designs, materials, and even a potentially revolutionary fitting process uh, to help both eye care practitioners and patients with time, which I'm sure a lot of eye care providers are concerned about. So we're certainly also seeing a lot of myopia prevalence all over the world. And we know that there isn't a magical, magical cure. Whoa, <laughs> tongue twister there. There isn't a magical cure for uh, optometrists yet, but some of the amazing technologies we do have available to us, they do help us combat myopia progression. So Dr. Yu, in your opinion, you know, what trends in utilization have you noticed in myopia control in your practice? Well, I think you're entirely right in that myopia has really surged um, as far as just increased um, patient awareness, um, diagnosis of myopia, myopia progression. It's been obviously a ever-growing hot topic in optometry and what a lot of optometrists are doing as well. Um, I think COVID has heightened a lot of it because with all the digital screen time and all the computer usage, the homeschooling, there definitely has been a lot of change in patients. I even had a patient who I saw back in March before everything shut down. And within, by the time I saw them close to June, they had changed by about 0.75 diopters, which as we all know is a massive change for that amount of time. Um, so I think that we as optometrists have a tremendous opportunity to be able to really guide patients and educate them and make them more aware that myopia is a serious condition and there is a lot that we can really do to manage it and to help to slow it down. Um, I've been doing orthokeratology for 12 plus years now um, and it was something I did in school during residency and beyond. And I, I've watched it grow um, and really, really change worldwide, especially um, here in the US where more and more practitioners have become interested. Um, it definitely is a great practice builder, which we can certainly talk more to, but as far as just offering something new and something different for patients to, to learn about and to say, hey, you know, this is a little bit of a different way of thinking. Um, but it's a great approach to try to slow down the myopia progression for your child, um, which naturally evolves into a conversation about things you can do to help slow it down. 
things that we can all integrate into our daily lives, you know, things like visual hygiene. Um, but it opens up a lot of different doors as far as what you can manage with the patient. Um, so for me, what's been happening is that I, during a myopia management consultation, um, and I do probably large percentage ortho-K, that's how I've gotten a lot of referrals. Um, it, it's a big conversation and it definitely involves a little bit more time, but it's about educating the parents as far as how fast their child is progressing, how their binocular posture, you know, their exophoria, the esophoria, convergence issues, how that all ties into myopic progression, um, their family genetics, of course, how much time they're spending outside actually doing something outdoors like sports versus just on their phone or computer all the time, um, as well as just things that they're doing day to day, um, things in school, their different activities. Um, so it's been a good conversation starter as far as trying to offer something different and differentiate yourself um, as a practice too. I think that that's amazing. I also know that there's a lot of colleagues that are interested in myopia management. And for these listeners who are curious, what types of patients walk into your office where you look at and you start giving these clinical considerations for myopia control as a candidate? I think a lot of the ones that I am seeing, we look at the prescription, you know, where they are, where they've been the past year or two, how fast they're changing um, over the course of the six months or a year. Sometimes if they're new patients to me, I'll look back at their old glasses prescriptions or they'll come with files. Um, we're looking at the corneal topography to see how good of a candidate they could be for say ortho-K. Um, also assessing how interested they are in what kind of risk profile they might be interested in. If it's something more like atropine drops they could be interested in um, or soft contact lens management, which we've seen an explosion of different things on the soft myopia management market. Um, the MySight lens, which is obviously FDA approved as well as the NatraView multifocal, um, which has a fantastic um, peripheral plus defocus that really helps to slow down myopic growth. Um, versus something that they would want for ortho-K. So I think a lot of that comes down to how comfortable they are sleeping with a contact versus having contacts during their daytime. Um, and where I am, I have a lot of kids who are very, very active in sports, a lot of swimmers and runners and <clears throat> people who golf or play tennis. And they love the concept of being able to see during the day without having to wear anything. Um, and not worrying about something folding up in their eye or potentially flying out of their eye um, or even just rubbing their eye and, and having it, the lens fall out. Um, and of course, being in New England, we have a lot of the seasonal allergy component, you know, come spring or fall, how much that plays into wearing daytime contacts as well. Excellent. I'm curious, you know, from a, a patient and a parent perspective, because you might be using this on um, younger patients. Are there concerns about safety? And if so, how do you, you know, ease uh, that concern that the patient or that the parent might have? Well, usually there is usually some concern. Um, some a little bit are, are more well-versed with ortho-K in particular because they're of Asian background. Um, and as we know, it's been used, it has a very high prevalence of use in Asia um, Europe, Australia, um, just basically outside the US. So that's been a, a large proportion of people who have some knowledge of it. 
Um, but what I tell them with the hard lenses is that, you know, the materials, a lot of them are FDA approved for overnight wear um, under safe guidance and hygiene and just proper care, the risk of infection and other adverse effects can be very, very low. Um, oftentimes mimicking what's, what the risk with soft lenses are. Um, with the soft lenses, if it's something they're concerned about, especially if it's a younger child, like maybe seven, eight, nine, um, the benefit is that it's a daily disposable, which we know is the healthiest and um, cleanest way that a child can wear contacts. And I think a lot of parents um, really, really admire that aspect of it as well. So it sounds like myopia control is also another wonderful uh, practice builder opportunity for eye care providers. Now you mentioned the MySight, which I think is a, a daily disposable soft contact lens, correct? Yes. Okay. So that's how far. So you were fitting, you know, amazing technology that can reshape or slow down the progression, but we also have it in daily disposable soft contact lenses that are coming out as well. What, what other neat products are there out there that you like to use and why do you like using them? Well, I have, I use a lot of different, um, I would say, gas permeable designs. Um, there, I've used some of the Moon Lens, which is by Art Optical. Um, of course, the big name is Paragon and all of the different um, permutations of its lenses, the regular Paragon, the dual axis, um, the other lesser known varieties as well. Um, there's a couple more customizable options as far as um, lenses from GP specialists. And I know Bausch & Lomb has a new system out as well that's supposed to be um, very user-friendly for practitioners, integrates a lot of customizable designs. Um, so a lot of the newer designs are incorporating factors like HVID, um, different lift areas and the peripheral curves of the lens, different return zones. Um, different optic zone sizes, um, customizable diameters. So there's a lot of different ways to really tweak the lens um, that didn't used to exist years ago. And that just speaks to how much myopia management and orthokeratology has really evolved, which is amazing. Incredible. We're talking about these unique products, some of these reshaping technologies. It's obvious that myopia control is so much more than just preventing vision changes here, right? You're helping lower uh, associated pathologies such as cataracts, uh, myopic macular degeneration, retinal detachments, all these things down the line. And I came across an interesting fact, uh, well, I shouldn't say fact, but statistic, and it read that by 2050, maybe half of the global popul population could be myopic. And I just thought that that number was astounding. So I could see how a lot of eye care providers could embrace these treatment options in the future. Well, I've really enjoyed speaking with our amazing panel of doctors this evening. And we're very fortunate to obviously be practicing at a time where there's a lot of quality products and technology. Well, thank you everyone for joining us this evening. Um, we're fortunate to have a fantastic group of panelists. And I'd like to dive right into the questions uh, coming from our listeners this evening. So the first question is my patients are asking to convert from monthly lenses to dailies due to feeling they are safer in the pandemic? Do you lean one way on this? And that's a great question. Um, Dr. Tsai, what are your thoughts on that question? Um, if patients are interested in switching from their monthlies to dailies, I would say that's actually a great thing. 
um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, I think that um, we've seen that over time, over the past couple of months, we learned a little bit more about the pandemic and COVID and how it can spread. Um, so just like bacteria does spread, um, there are fast ways for um, viral particles to spread, but I don't think that, um, you know, in monthly lenses, there's just more likely, uh, it's just more likely to develop like protein buildup, bacteria on the lens, and they tend to overwear them. So in general, switching to dailies are always going to be a little bit more hygienic, a little bit more um, easier to remember to take them off. And I think that if patients are interested in switching to a daily lens, that's definitely something that I personally recommend. And I've seen actually a lot of my personal patients switch from, or even new patients that come in as monthlies, uh, switching to a daily version. Um, part of that has to do with the fact that they've also noticed that they wear their glasses more now that they're at home and, and they're working more remote. So having lenses that they can put on sort of on the weekends or as needed, uh, daily disposables definitely would fit that model a little bit better than the monthlies that they kind of have around that they don't use. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. We're, we're uh, sharing a lot of similar findings in our office. Uh, I think that this is a perfect opportunity to work on, you know, re-engaging our patient and developing communication that really is focusing on hygiene, but also uh, maintenance for our contact lenses. And with the dailies, in, you know, in particular, we know that they're not going to have 100%, right, in the compliance category. But it certainly is an opportunity to talk about washing their hands, right, singing happy birthday, you know, twice. And then, you know, putting on those daily contact lenses. And we can always revisit the monthly contact lens discussion after the pandemic, right? But now, you know, with a lot of people who have had, you know, probably a pretty challenging year, dailies are probably going to give them the highest level of comfort. So let's go on to our second question. I'm in the Northeast and with the colder weather, so many patients are complaining about their glasses fogging and masks. I find it harder to convert adults from glasses to contacts. Any tips? But Dr. Yu, you're over in the Northeast where it's cold and frigid half the year. What are your thoughts on this question? Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. That's right, Dr. Lewis, winter is coming here. Um, we, like everybody else, I think we've been fighting the fogging issues, both um, in the exam room, as well as with our patients complaining day to day, you know, when they go run their errands or whenever they're wearing their glasses, just um, in certain socially distant situations. So I think it's a good opportunity for us to really introduce contacts to people who might have never thought of contacts. Um, and also it's a good time to reassure patients that even with the virus and the pandemic, that contact lens wear is still safe. I think from several patients I've spoken with, that is a misconception sometimes that they don't wanna to have to touch their face too much or their eye too much. But it's important to remind them that once they follow all the safety precautions that we normally teach with our insertion and removal techniques, that contact lens wear is still just as safe. And especially as we were just saying with daily disposables, it's a great time to introduce patients to the most convenient and most importantly, hygienic way to wear contacts. Um, and especially in times where people are maybe going out a little bit less, the daily disposable is a great introduction for it. Um, not to mention that we have 
most times greater peripheral vision with our contacts and just the ease of being able to see without constantly having to touch our face or our glasses, shifting them around as they slide down our nose or you know, move around on our face as we're looking around. Um, so even for a task like grocery shopping, a multifocal contact for our presbyopia is a great way for them to really see. So it sounds like you share a similar opinion to Dr. Sai. I mean, there's certainly a high level of priority uh, for putting your patients in technology that gives them, you know, the best safety profile. And so definitely, definitely. I think it's our job to really say, hey, what's the best way that I can, you know, help you refine your life and find the, the things that you need and make them better? Yeah, speaking of better, you know, nothing about this pandemic has been convenient. And there are some convenient benefits from wearing contact lenses. One of the things that you know, has helped our practice really grow in particular has been the ultra multifocal forest stigmatism. And the convenience really came about because of the ergonomic challenges that our patients were facing with spending so much time on the computer or digital devices in general. So we were seeing this prior to the, the, the COVID outbreak. And now that we're dealing with, you know, a COVID era, patients are spending even more time on digital devices. And so the neck, the shoulder, the back pain, you know, those difficulties, the grinding out, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Um, we want our patients to be in the most comfortable uh, option for them. And that, in many cases, that actually turns out to be a multifocal or a multifocal core, like I just mentioned. And that's made it a lot easier to convert our patients over from glasses to contact lenses. Also for adults, I think a lot of our patients, they think it might be difficult right? Even if you're educated and I'm okay, like you said, Dr. Yu, these are safer. Like this option works really well. They might be hesitant because they're concerned about how difficult it might be to put on or take off. So we've been able to help out some of our patients by doing that for them and then having them go around and looking at glasses. And what happens when they're looking at the glasses and they're like, oh my gosh, I can read my phone. You know, I'm talking to my husband. I can see outside while I'm driving. And they're like, you know what? I'm good on glasses. The prescription's about the same anyway. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, try these contact lenses out. So ho hopefully you find that helpful as well. This is a great question because we've really been focusing on products and technology. So Dr. Collette, is there one new lens technology that excites you? Uh, that's a tough question. I, I would ask that the person who asked that question give me a little bit of leeway because I love technology. So if you'll give me a, a little bit of time, let me say about the things I'm excited about. And then at the end, I'll pick maybe my favorite. So there's a lot of things that come out. You mentioned one, Dr. Lewis, is uh, the multifocal toric options that are out there. I mean, when I was out practicing with the Proclear Torics, and it, unfortunately, it didn't work that well. So we were really having to use RGPs and even the hybrid lens weren't that great. So we didn't have a lot of options for these patients. Now there's the ultra torque multifocal, the biofinity torque multifocal, and these lenses are exceptional. It's surprising how well they're working for these patients where before when they're coming in, ah, you're out of luck, stick with glasses. I'll give you monovision and you know, you got to deal with the depth perception issues. Now these lenses are working fantastic. That is one of the biggest strides that I've seen in the last year. And then now seeing the better options in the premium daily disposables for dry eye. Infuse is one that's came out. We know daily total one has been out there for, for a few years and having these patients that just can't wear contacts at all, having an option saying, 
look, you have dry eye, we're treating it. But now there's an option where you can probably tolerate something. You can tolerate something in the eye and still get that vision. And there's multifocal options and fingers crossed, hopefully some toric options coming soon. And one of the newer ones that come out in the hybrid modality is Synergize released a, their new uh, ID platform, which is really exciting. So if anybody that's familiar with the hybrid lenses, the way they kind of work is there's a center RGP and then there's the soft skirt, but there's really three modalities. There's a flat, steep and medium, and it wasn't exactly custom. Now these lenses are designed based on the topography. So based on what your HVID is, there's an algorithm that incorporates all the topography data and it's actually a lot more customized off the first fit success. And these are for uh, great for all the high astigmats and presbyopic patients. So a lot of great things out there. We got multifocal torics and soft lenses. We have premium daily disposal for a dry patient. Hybrid lenses are getting better. Scleral lenses are getting better with scleral profilometry and decentered multifocal optics. It's too hard to pick one, but if I had to, uh, I'd probably go for one that fits the majority of our patients. And oof, that you really, you really, you really picking on me. I gotta go with the patient that suffer the most, the dry eye patient. That's who I see across all demographics, whether they're 15 or they're 45. Most of these patients have some type of issue where they can't deal with a contact lens on their eyes. So those, that expansion, the premium, daily disposables, infuse. Iris is another lens that really hit the market that's made by a, another optometrist. Um, that's been exciting for us. So if I had to go for one, I would go for the opportunity of the daily disposables and how it's impacting our dry eye patients. But the multifocal torx is probably a close second. Wow, thank you for that. We know that a lot of our eye care practitioners, they're excited about some of the technology that you've mentioned. And unfortunately, a lot of doctors are having Zoom fatigue. And so, you know, there's a question regarding travel. And, you know, some places might have in-person education, continuing education, and others might not. Um, doctors, for you, you know, do you see yourself traveling this upcoming calendar year to either, you know, um, local, state, or even some of the bigger uh, society meetings. Uh, Dr. Yu, why don't we start with you? I think, Dr. Lewis, it's, it, it's hard to say. Honestly, you know, it feels like when we're in our microcosm of our practice, it's a day-by-day, week-by-week kind of situation. Um, but I think depending on how the, the farther six months pan out this coming year, it's definitely possible for travel. Um, the beauty of where we are as far as technology is that we've been able to have a lot of high quality education virtually and through all these different media platforms um, that I think it's been a really nice way for us to branch out um, unexpectedly, but also in a very positive way. So I think depending on how the environment changes, I would personally be open to travel, but I think it's really a week by week kind of situation these days. Absolutely. Dr. Sai, I know out by you, you know, one of the, the biggest events um, that quite a few of uh, our colleagues travel to is the Vision Expo East. And mm -hmm. so do you see yourself, you know, possibly attending that or, you know, what's kind of the climate like uh, for your fellow colleagues out there? Um, New York has been, um, it's just been a yo-yo this whole year. I mean, I think in the beginning, everything closed. And then the restaurants couldn't open and then they were allowed to open, but it had to be outdoors. And then they had to 
um, shut down and board down during like the protests and then every the stores reopened and then they boarded back up again for elections. So um, I agree when uh, Debbie said everything's really just day by day. Um, that's how I'm living. Uh, but I think it'd be great to, you know, I think go to Vision Expo. It's really down the street Javits Center for me. Um, and, you know, really what I think I remember it for is just meeting colleagues and, you know, having that in-person um, sort of relationship and, and networking. I think that is the part that, you know, I do miss. And I think it's hard to replace that virtually. Um, and I do agree that a lot of this, of the content you can um, learn. And there, are, I've seen a lot of CE events over the course of this year during the pandemic um, that otherwise would not have happened. Um, but again, I think that in-person, that human touch, I think meeting one-on-one -on -one, is special. Um, so if things are able to pick up um, and things are safe with vaccines and everything else, I, I would consider it um, next year. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Pillay, I know that you're a little south and so, you know, the warmer is a little bit warmer out there. Um, and that, that of course opens up some opportunities. Um, what are you noticing in your state? We know that there's been some significant flare-ups and a bit of a roller coaster, um, but with the nicer weather and the ability to be outside, you know, a bit more, are people kind of thinking outside the box uh, with the approach of getting a larger group of people together, or are people just kind of maybe hunkered out uh, this upcoming week? Well, I'm in Texas. Yeah, we can have all the upticks we want. People are doing what they want. Restaurants are packed. People are going out. They're doing whatever they want. So uh, my state's a little bit different. Uh, we we kind of go by our own rules. Um, so one thing about traveling for these meetings, uh, unfortunately, I don't, I don't have the magic answer, just like what Dr. Sai and Dr. Yu mentioned. I mean, I miss it. I, it's one of the things I really look forward to every year is going out to these conferences and meeting my colleagues. And, and it's usually the place where I learn the most. Um, and I miss that, that human touch, but we're in a whole different era and what I feel comfortable going. So I'll say this, I really want to, in 2021, I want to go to all the meetings I can. I haven't booked anything um, and because I have to wait and see how it is. Um, I've done a few actually in-person um, lectures and meetings. Um, and if I'm speaking, I feel a little bit more comfortable because I can be, you know, I can be away from people. And to be honest, I mean, just because of what we do, we see so many patients and a lot of our patients are maybe high risk. And the biggest concern, you know, I'm a young, healthy male. Most of us are, you know, young and healthy. We're worried about transmitting to somebody else and then going home and seeing their parents, et cetera. That's the biggest worry. Um, so unless there's, unless I know the exact protocol, you know, if there's a meeting where we're having 500 people sitting next to each other, I just don't think that's plausible in in, even in 2021. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Um, I do miss going to these meetings, but we just don't have, I don't have any of the answers from the people that are organizing the meetings of what these conferences are going to look like, um, what the state of each individual state and the entire nation will be, what the state of the vaccine will be, how the numbers are going to be look. So yeah, I want to go to the meetings. I, I dearly, dearly miss it, but some things takes precedence. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of logistical challenges, of course, um, especially with different states, as you're mentioning your state's kind of running a little bit different than say New York and Connecticut, and uh, certainly different than our state here over in Illinois, 
we're in Chicago, pretty much everything is shut down. Now I'm in central Illinois where we've had, you know, mitigating solutions, but it's starting to feel like it's shut down. At the same time, I myself started traveling uh, to some of the larger events and I would certainly recommend to all of our listeners, go, go to all of these different uh, optometry meetings. It is a wonderful opportunity to engage with your colleagues and you will always come out learning so much more than what you went in with. And uh, you're gonna end up making a lot of friends as well. And this is all about a community. And I, I feel like that's what optometry is really all about. And it's why we're so good right, at what we do as eye care providers and working with our patients from the day to day, you know, because we're really community people. So this actually, this last question here kind of ties a little bit into that, you know, are there, are there or will there be any options for patients who are environmentally conscious? Some patients have cited concerns regarding the high usage of plastics. I think that that is a very good question and probably one that does not get offered or offered or asked um, enough. Um, I can share uh, personally a little bit about our experience. So I myself was curious about this a few years ago. And so we started looking at the amount of plastic that was going into producing contact lenses, more specifically dailies versus monthly. And one thing we don't typically, of course, think of is the solution waste, right? So the solution waste builds up incredibly fast, but also the actual cases for contact lenses are worth so many more daily disposables than you would ever possibly think. And I'm a little rusty on the numbers, but I believe some of the hard cases are worth about four years worth of daily disposables. And some of the hydrogen peroxide cases, which require even more, plastic are worth about eight. Now don't hold me to that, but I heard, I, 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 I recall reading some staggering numbers like that. So you're talking about potentially four or eight years worth of daily disposables. Plus of course, you know, the carbon footprint from having to, you know, send all the solutions, make the solution cases. Um, so there are some programs out there. Uh, there's TerraCycle, uh, the BioTrue family, and you'll find that a lot of eye care providers, if you uh, look online, they will actually map out for you, if you put in your area, where you can drop off these plastics. And so most of these plastics are actually recyclable. And the really neat thing is that I believe with TerraCycle, they don't just recycle one manufacturer, they're willing to accept all types of manufacturers. That's correct. And cardboard boxes, you can generally recycle those in your regular recycle. Um, Docs, what are your thoughts? Is, is there anything that uh, you'd, you'd like to share regarding this question? Um, in our office, we have the Bausch & Lomb TerraCycle, the one, um, the box. And so a lot of the patients who are concerned, um, I tell them um, to collect the, the cases that they have. Um, in the bag that we give them for their yearly purchase and I say bring it back to us um, and if you drop it off happy to give you some extra free trials um, so it usually works and it makes them feel better um, about what they're doing and they also know places that they can mail off um, or drop it in so I think that that's been helpful. That's incredible I love that trial idea I'm going to implement that tomorrow. 
You know, one thing that's interesting about the terror cycle is that um, a lot of people that are environmentally conscious, they might still recycle their blister packs or whatever. But what we found out after they instituted that program, whatever recycling bin you were putting your plastics, it wasn't actually getting recycled properly. Whatever plastic or, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but whatever recycling number that's supposed to be for your contact lens disposables, the blister packs, isn't being properly recycled if you're putting your regular recycling bin. It has to be separated properly. So not only are we recycling in number one, but number two, we're probably doing a better job than your normal recycling. So if you thought you were doing a good job, we're actually doing it properly. So it's surprising how many, uh, how often that comes up is, well, how, I gotta throw all this, I'm gonna kill my planet. Well, no, you're probably doing a worse job because of what you mentioned with your cases and solutions and et cetera. And we can just say, the disposable blister packs from daily disposals now what's the problem with recycling in 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 the world it's everything else it's a very it's less than one percent but we can still affect that one percent and we can finally recycle them properly and and you are right the tear cycle program is great we have it in our office and it's not exclusive in boston Lom. they will cycle any manufacturer let your patients know we'll take care of it bring it to our office and they'll come pick it up absolutely and i believe uh for our fellow listeners, you can also be a recycling site. So there's a wonderful opportunity there. I'd like to thank our amazing docs. It's always a pleasure getting together with all of you. And of course, I'd like to thank our wonderful sponsor, uh, Bausch and Lomb. And uh, good luck to all of our eye care providers. And I hope that uh, 2021 is a wonderful year for you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, everybody. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode. We'd also like to thank Drs. Lewis, Palay, Sai, and Yu for their participation. This podcast was supported with advertising by Bausch & Lomb. The opinions and views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and are not necessarily those of Bausch & Lomb or its affiliates. <laughs>